With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Going to talk about Iowa's 30 to nothing win against Rutgers, uh, Iowa 2-0. I think I saw a tweet from Dave Refson of the Big Ten Network that Iowa has now opened the season 2-0 and for six consecutive years, the first time since that happened since uh, I think it was something like 95-01. to And he was talking 1895-1901. to Now, I didn't go fact check that, but wow. uh, I may need to do that now that I brought it up. But anyway – Iowa 2-0. and Obviously, Rutgers is not good. We're going to hear you talk about that. I talked quite a bit about that in the uh, Instant Reaction podcast, but I'm really impressed with where Iowa is at right now after two games. Their offense is farther along than I thought it would be. It's one of the best two-game stretches to start a season. I remember their offense looking one of the best in the Ferentz era. Um, What were your thoughts? You know, you you always have to factor in the competition. and. I've just, you know, we, we had a situation on Saturday night where last week Washington just looked incredible in its season opener against what is even typically one of the best uh, FCS programs out there. I think it's Eastern Washington. They've beaten Washington State in recent years. Um, they've, they've sent, you know, their quarterback, uh, they sent him he was the, to Oregon. He was the quarterback that was really good after Mariota left at Oregon. That was pretty good for them for a year or two. You know, so this is an upper echelon FCS program. Jacob Eason put up video game numbers, and everybody's like, well, you know, maybe we underrated Washington. And then Washington goes out there and uh, can't move the ball across the street and loses to Cal for the second year in a row, but this time at home. So you always have to be, factor in – the caliber of the competition, especially when you're making ex- extrapolating long-term narratives. That being said, in these two games, now I have no idea if it changes anything about the season at all, and we'll learn more about that probably on Saturday. But in these two games, Iowa has looked about as, about as good as could have been realistically hoped for. You know, Nate Stanley, who had – um, questionable outings all off season. Whenever he, you know he was on public display, has looked sensational in those opening two weeks. You know, so let's keep in mind that the two opponents are Miami of Ohio from what looks like a really really down year in the MAC, and um, Rutgers, who is easy. It, they are the worst Power Five program. I mean, they, they lost to Kansas by forty points last last year. But, you know, holding anybody in the Big Ten who gets scholarships, who gives scholarships to, to 125 total yards, and you got to think Rutgers kind of came in with some confidence given, you know, um, the promising start that they had against UMass. And, I mean, they, they, they could do nothing. I mean, they could do nothing, um, less than nothing, most of that game. So 
it's it's the best that Iowa could have possibly looked, given the given um, the the expectations and the caliber of the opponents. Now we'll start to find out what it means, but it certainly gives Iowa. If those are your tune-ups, it certainly gives Iowa some confidence and momentum heading into, you know, now with, with the, the exception of a Middle Tennessee game up in a couple of weeks, is now going to be the rest of the way one of the more difficult gauntlets in the country. Uh, in, indeed, and by by the way, Miami played Tennessee Tech, who's an FCS team, and I think they went one and ten last year in FCS, and Miami beat them forty-eight to seventeen. Not that that really amounts to a whole heck of a lot. Uh, I think as much as anything, Steve, it's like when you are a small class high school football player, but you're really, really good, mm-hmm. and everyone in your town thinks you're deserving of a scholarship. You need to be Bobby Boucher good. You need to absolutely. Uh, stomp and dominate the competition. Mm-hmm. And Rutgers is not good. And Iowa went out there defensively and held Rutgers to 125 yards. It's the fourth fewest total yards ever allowed in a Kirk Ferentz uh, coached Iowa team. Held Rutgers to 41 yards passing. That's the second fewest passing yards, I believe, in either the Ferentz era Gosh, I wouldn't think all time because there were just years where you wouldn't even probably throw a pass. But I, I, it's at least the Ferentz era with number one being the Orange Bowl. That Iowa defense went out and just played incredibly well, and they Bobby Boucher'd Rutgers. They stomped the competition. A Rutgers team the week before, um, 360 yards passing. Pacheco looked like an all-world player. Blackshear looked like an all-world player, as did Bo Melton. And Iowa made them look silly. Now, again – It is Rutgers, and thank goodness they play Liberty because that's the only win I see in the rest of their schedule. I think they're looking at 2-10 and down the barrel. Uh, But you want to go out and you want to dominate, and I I think Iowa did that. Certainly defensively, they absolutely dominated. Five first downs is all that Rutgers had. Rutgers had 13 possessions. Nine of those 13 possessions, they had three or fewer plays. Yeah. Listen, they're terrible. I don't – it was impressive, yeah. This is also a team that, you know, one of my favorite stats of, of last season is the previous quarterback was was the 19th rated quarterback in efficiency in the Big Ten last year. And there are only 14 teams. So they, this is a historically bad offensive program. Last year, Rutgers finished last, was the first Big Ten team to finish last in total offense since Minnesota in 1991. So I, I, I don't know what to say. I, mean, I don't want to, you know, they looked great, but we have no idea what that means given who the opponents were. Frankly, I was more impressed with Miami of Ohio because I think maybe they might be better than Rutgers or at least better coached anyway. Um, I, I think here's what I think we can say for sure. UMass is terrible. I think we can say that. I know that we know that for sure. Now I say this as somebody that in my latest big 10 power ratings and um, that we'll discuss for bigger 10 this week, I've got Iowa number two, right? Or number three right now, uh, just behind Ohio state and Wisconsin. So I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not impressed with the way they've played because I have them in my, on my own top 25 ballot higher than uh, they're currently ranked. Um, And, um, and, and I've got them the third number three team in the big 10. So I am aware of and have and am impressed by 
how Iowa has looked in these two games. And I've been really impressed by what I've seen out of Nathan Stanley, the ball distribution um, and, you know, the efficiency numbers. I mean, that's a tremendous start. No, no question about it. I'm just, I, I, I'm really hesitant to make any um, long-term uh, qualifiers or projections based on that though, because the caliber of competition is going to get much tougher uh, starting even with this week. So they've looked as good as they can possibly look. We all thought they were pretty good though coming in. I mean, I, I mean, I, I thought this was the most talented team in the West coming into the season. I just thought the schedule was too tough. I think you probably were on a similar wavelength um, to me. So it, it, it's not like we thought this was a, you know, personnel wise was a six and six team. And we're like, well, you know, maybe we got to rethink that. No, coming in, we kind of thought this was a nine or 10 win team and then looked at the schedule and thought we might have to rethink that, you know? So, I mean, personnel wise, talent wise, they look about what we thought. I, I, I think the passing game has been, uh, has been better at this early juncture than, than probably anybody thought it was going to be. And that's your number one positive. If you ask me. Um, shutting down Miami of Ohio and Rutgers, even, even to 125 yards. While that's a great number, Iowa traditionally plays great defense. Rutgers historically is terrible on offense. So all that tells me is UMass is, is, is perhaps the worst team in the FBS in, 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 in America. So when we're looking ahead to the rest of the schedule and you're asking yourself, what is, have they shown something these two weeks that um, might give them another weapon in the arsenal to go after a uniquely difficult schedule. I, I think it's what you've seen in the passing game and the, the, the distribution and efficiency you've seen from Nathan Stanley. We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Hey, Hawkeye Nation, right now at Flooring America, save store-wide on beautiful, long-lasting floors like high-performance Resista carpets and waterproof luxury vinyl. Plus, buy with 36 months, interest-free financing now at Flooring America in Clive, Ankeny, and Mason City. Yeah, they had, um, I think it was 21 or 22 uh, targets to wide receivers against Rutgers after, I think it was 21 against Miami. I couldn't tell you the last time Iowa had 20 or more targets in consecutive games to wide receivers in the Kirk Ferentz era. Maybe it's never happened. I don't know if it has happened. Uh, it's not, it, it's less than a handful of times. Obviously that's what they have this year. They don't have, you know, TJ Hawkinson who just set an NFL record on Sunday for the most uh, receiving yards by a rookie tight end in NFL history, you know, and he had nine targets and they don't have George Kittle who had 10 targets for San Francisco. Um, so they've got to go to where they have them, but it's not, it's not just this year. I think going to the, the position where you have better players. I think these players they have at the wide receiver position are, I, I think it's the best wide receiver group that they've had in a decade and, and maybe one of the two best they've had in the Kirk Ferentz era. I know it's still early, but I, I do, um, I do believe that. Um, by the way, Rutgers did not get shut out one time last year. So I think you're really undervaluing Iowa's defensive domination, Steve. I think you need to reconsider that a little bit more. Uh, but hey, I'm, I will say this. I'm they had, they, to do that. No, they, they, had, they had covered six in a row against the line going back to last year. You know, and Iowa, the, the, actually the late money on that game came in on Rutgers. I mean, the line – some books where the line fell down to 17 and a half. So um, there was a lot of smart money on Rutgers covering that 20 and a half. 
that came in late. So that's the first time Rutgers hadn't covered a game in their last six. So it, it wasn't, it, 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 it was, it was impressive. I, I don't know that it makes me think I was going to go 11 and one. I mean, put them, if, if, if Rutgers, does, it, does it seem like I'm asking you to do that to make such a declaration? Um, I don't know, maybe, or maybe I sense that that's probably what, you, what listeners want to hear. And I get it. It's the Hawkeye nation podcast. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ever be into contriving and, and getting a disingenuous opinion ever. Uh, it's more just talking about that game. And then I know we're going to transition to talking about Iowa, Iowa state. And maybe it's just that you're far more interested in talking about that, which is totally, it could cool. be, it could be, that could be, but let me, let me put it this way. If it was 30 to seven and you held Rutgers to 165 yards, would it be any less impressive? I don't think so. It'd be pretty much the same game. And so when I'm, I, what I'm looking for, is there an angle that makes me rethink where things are at? What's happening with the passing game? Uh, the numbers that you cited, some of the stuff we've talked about previously, that would be the angle. I'm far more interested in that than shutting out Rutgers. Because even though they didn't get shut out all of last year, they were historically bad on offense. And Iowa is traditionally strong defensively. So what I'm wondering is, you know, it's, it's what you and I have talked about with, on this podcast over the last few years, numerous times. Is there a way Iowa can contrive a process by which they can more easily get to 27 or 28 points in, in today's college football where it's really difficult to beat anybody of consequence 24 to 21 anymore, given the rules and, and, and the schemes and everything else. And that passing game, I am impressed with. No, I am absolutely, I'm impressed with the way that it's being managed and distributed. That it's not just one guy coming out of the blue, you know, Oliver Martin comes in, former big time recruit, doesn't have a lot of film and kind of catches fire. And he's got back-to-back games with nine or 10 catches. And, and that's where a lot of, you know, Nate Stanley's numbers are coming from. It's the distribution of the ball that shows a command of the offense. That I'm impressed with. Yeah. To follow up on that, Amir Smith-Marset, five targets, Tyrone Tracy, four targets, Nico Regini, six targets, Brandon Smith, seven targets, and Oliver Martin, three targets. There's your wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, in addition to Mackay Sargent, a running back, three targets. Tyler Goodson, a running back, three targets. So it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult to, I think, phase them one way or another. And to me, maybe one of the other things that I've liked, and it's it's not been a ton of it, but it's been enough of it that I noticed it, is Iowa is running the ball a little bit more out of shotgun, one back shotgun sets. Um, looks that they haven't really done a consistent amount of in the past that most other programs are doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's just little things like that, that when, you know, when the defensive coordinator for Iowa state or Wisconsin pulls up Iowa that week and puts in the tape, they're going to say, well, we've not really seen them do that before. Hmm. We've not really seen them funneling their offense through wide receivers before. It may create a little additional preparation that they haven't had to do in the past. And it may make the defense not fly around the ball the way that they have in the past because of Iowa's seeming, seemingly predictability. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's more of a factor if you didn't have a bye week. But um, any, I think that's especially a factor beyond this week. 
when when I was not going to face teams that have bye weeks and things of that nature, um, and and there's less time to prepare. But yeah, in principle, I agree with all that. Yeah, I'm not even really as concerned about time. I just think I was showing more looks. Let's talk about this week. Um, on my Instant Reaction podcast from Saturday, um, you know, I certainly didn't go out on a limb because it seemed fait accompli at that point in time. Felt like the ESPN game day was going to be making a stop in Ames. And it did. And I think, did we bro- broach that topic on our Thursday uh, evening podcast, because I, I, because I know you and I were talking about um, there was the, the possibility, depending on what happened right. with uh, with Syracuse and Clemson, right? Because we, we we talked about the time where we did basically an, an ESPN game day style event in Jack Trice Stadium via MediaCom back in two thousand and five, and how incredible that environment was. And I mean, I, I don't know how many people were around the stage, but it was, it seemed to be, you know, 50 feet deep of nothing but humanity and, and people were mm-hmm. into it and they were playing off of what we were saying. It was just, it just felt like a big time broadcast. I cannot even imagine how insane things are going to be in and around Jack Trice stadium this coming Saturday leading up to this game. It, it, it may be the most electric uh, pregame, and it's going it's to bleed into the game. It's going to be maybe the most electric setting for an Iowa-Iowa State game ever. Yeah, it's, um, it's still surreal to me. I, it's just one of those things you never thought you would see. You know, I mean, the, the closest game day came to coming to Iowa State was uh, my first year owning Cyclonation. And Iowa State and Nebraska were both ranked in 2002. That was Seneca's senior year. And it was down to that game and another one. And I can't remember what the other one was. And game day ended up choosing the other one. And back in those days, they used to send like um, a B team or like the second biggest game of the week. And it'd be like Shelly Smith or Steve, what was that guy's name? That would, you know, they'd have like a feature, you know, crew that would come out for the week for that second biggest game. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of stories around Ames about uh, uh, what Shelly Smith got herself into on campus uh, over the course of uh, the time that she was here covering that game for ESPN. And what I remember about that is um, I was uh, at the Gateway Hotel the morning of that game with the uh, Iowa State coaches and players watching game day. And I was sitting there with Reggie Roby, the former All-American Iowa punter, and one of his best friends, Keith Sims, the former All-Big 8 to guard for uh, Iowa State. They both got to be good friends. They played the Miami Dolphins together. And Mac and uh, Roby were really good friends from their time at Iowa when Mac was an assistant there. And so we're, the three of us are sitting there with Coach Mac watching game day with some of the players coming down for breakfast. And uh, Trev Alberts is doing uh, his analysis of the Nebraska-Iowa State game on game day. And he is singling out Nick Leaders by name on game day. And saying Nick Leaders, who is this uh, freshman nose guard for Iowa State, true freshman, he said, Nick Leaders would barely, wouldn't, wouldn't even be a walk on it, Nebraska, he said. And he's starting at Iowa State. It's a joke that Iowa State is favored. They're never beating Nebraska. And I remember sitting around with the coaches and the, and the team watching that clip, and it was like the whole mood in the room changed because it was tense. Now, you're Iowa State. You haven't been favored over Nebraska in decades. That's a lot of pressure. And all of a sudden, Trev Alberts goes after your, your, your boy like that. It kind of gave Iowa State sort of the uh, plucky underdog card that they preferred back. 
in a way. And they went out there and rolled Nebraska that day. And I bring that story up because I think it's something similar for Iowa State in this game. You know, they're still favored right now. They're, they're getting game day there. Um, this coaching regime, none of these players have beaten Iowa. So that I think, you know, the tension here, I think, is on the Iowa State side, especially after the way they played the opening week. So I, I think it, it's going to be fascinating to see if Iowa State is able to embrace that um, or if they've got to try to figure out a way, hope that there's some kind of a slight, somebody pops off at the mouth and says something to put them back in, in a role that they've been more comfortable in in the past. I think a lot of, of the tightness factor is what went into the game against Northern Iowa. If you watch that game, it – it didn't look like any of the games in the past when Iowa State has either struggled with or lost to you and I. I mean, if, 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 you, if, if I just landed on planet Mars and you handed me the box score of that game and didn't tell me the score, I'd have guessed it was like 31 to 10. And instead, if it wasn't for a miraculous fumble recovery by Brock Purdy at the goal line, they would have lost that game. You know, you and I had 31 yards rushing, I think it was, on 34 carries. That freshman quarterback that they have from Lincoln – um, from Des Moines Lincoln, just running around playing street ball. Now, that's something Nate Stanley's not going to do, obviously. But just running around playing street ball, and he threw a couple of passes outside of his, you know, out of his backside. Um, I, I think there was a lot of, of Iowa State's – Iowa State, to me, is, is a program that's actually built a lot like Iowa. They've got a lot of really good players, but I'm not sure who the difference maker is. And, you know, they were, they were just a half step away from getting that – that closed down sack like a half dozen times. You know, they, they couldn't quite get – that guy couldn't quite break that tackle on that eight-yard slant to get a first down or take it to the house. And you just got the sense if Iowa State ever got that one touchdown, that it would probably – the dam would break and then their superior size and depth would take over from there. But, that, but no one ever really made that one play. That's why that thing had to go into triple overtime. And that, that speaks to me. They weren't out there making dumb penalties. They weren't out there – um, creating turnovers. The, the Iowa narrative that their offensive line sucked is not true. Their left tackle struggled. I agree with that. Um, against you and I, guy, that some project as a pro prospect. So that probably projects for, as a worry for this Saturday when you have a top 10 pro prospect that's going to be lining up over there uh, next year, probably for 50 snaps. But collectively, their offensive line wasn't bad at all. They ran the ball fairly effectively. Their offensive balance was pretty good. It wasn't really an issue at all. I, I, I think that team was tight. And I think you could I, – I think you can almost sense watching that game on television the, the tension in the stadium. You're ranked in the preseason AP Top 25 for the first time since, the, since Star Wars originally came out in 1977. And the longer that game – especially when we got past halftime. Okay, it was a sloppy – okay, first half, you got some jitters, you're ironing some things out, cool. But when they didn't come right out in the second half, and they kept doing the same thing, moving the ball between the 30s, and then something would happen. And, that, and then the, the, there's that play that almost always gets called an incompletion. It's almost, they almost never give the defense that as a fumble. If, if there's like any doubt at all, they call it an incompletion. In this case, they did. And it ended up being a touchdown. And you and I scored. It was the only touchdown I think they did score in the game, in the regulation. And you could just sense the tension. 
And, and it's something, as someone who's been around the Iowa State program for a long time now, you know, I remember when they played Missouri for the Big 12 North title on Thanksgiving weekend in a game they just choked away. And I, and I remember sitting there on the sidelines as, and I watched Jack Trice Stadium. People just get up and walk away. Like, they were Iowa State, saw it coming, basketball's practice started. So it's a, it was down our uniforms and said, Iowa State, we knew it was going to go out like this. It's like, in a, in, in a way, I think Matt Campbell might be a victim of his own success. It's like he's broken that culture, John as people have seen them beat Oklahoma, you know, uh, get, go, to, go to Alamo Bowls. Stuff that, you know, they used to, when I was around the program a lot, <clears throat> people just kind of dreamed about doing. And, and I think the players felt that tension and that pressure, that they're not the plucky underdog anymore. And I will be fascinated to see how that plays out on Saturday with game day up there for several during the week and everything else and all the focus on them and, and, and the Ames community. Like, I think this would be a huge advantage for Iowa state. If the game, if, they, if this was the same, the first time they went to Cyhawk, but it was an Iowa, but it was an Iowa city that just plays right into the plucky underdog disrespected. Nobody likes us. Send them a, they're over there, you know, doing stand-ups with uh, Kirk Herbstreet and, and Reese Davis, you know. And, but now, but it's in your hometown now. It's your city that they're going to put on the map now. It's your program that they're highlighting. Iowa, despite this being the superior program by any measure, um, both currently and historically, kind of comes in here now as the supporting cast to this storyline. And so I will be fascinated to see how Iowa State navigates that because I think that was the biggest factor two weeks ago against you and I. It was that they, that they felt the pressure of expectations as a program that they just simply have never felt before um, or at the very least not since, you know, um, Earl Bruce and Dwayne Crutchfield were, had, were here in the 70s. What are your thoughts on that? We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Want to work part-time hours and make $14.50 an hour? Perishable Distributors of Iowa, PDI, a high V company, they're hiring immediately for their warehouse located in Ankeny. Part-time warehouse selectors build their own schedule. They offer year-round part-time employment working evenings and weekends. Starting wage of $14.50 per hour plus opportunities for incentives. Apply online today at contactpdi.com. If you like a flexible schedule, being physically active and a fast-paced environment where you're rewarded for the hard work you do, this is the job for you. Apply today at contactpdi.com. Yeah, I think so. I think it was one of the longest in a good way, but in, a, in an anticipatory way, off-seasons in Iowa State football history. Um, you get eight wins, you do well in the bowl game, and you have everybody talking about you early on in the not, you know, in the far too early top 25s is your program being a top 25 program. And you get to the preseason, the magazines start coming out and you start seeing a number of them rank you in the top 25. And these are things that no one in that program who's, who is a participant in that program has ever been a part of. Maybe some people in sports information that have been there forever maybe have, and maybe they get back to the Crutchfield days. And I certainly recall him. But no, nobody else has. And you get there, and the fans are, are frothing at the mouth. Everyone's so pumped up, deservedly so. 
and it's it's a first it's a first game of the season. You're not sharp. You don't have David Montgomery. You don't have Hakeem Butler. You're looking to see who those next playmakers are going to be. Purdy doesn't know he doesn't have that familiarity that he can go here if things are breaking down or that he can go down and he knows that Butler is going to be 25 yards down the field and he can throw a ball in a place where only Butler can catch it as a, as a bailout. Mm-hmm. And he's learning those. He's going to be learning those things and probably still will be learning those things. So I, I don't disagree at all. And you're right that that Northern Iowa game was not the typical recipe for Iowa State losing to, you know, an, an undergunned opponent early in the season. Um, there were some calls that went against Iowa State that were highly questionable. So I, I think you're right on that. And I think with the spotlight coming in this, again, you're right. The chip on their shoulder, Iowa State. I mean, not the fans certainly feed off of the Iowa arrogance, the Iowa fan arrogance, the institutional arrogance. And I think that that program has. It certainly did under McCartney, uh, did under Paul Rhodes. Maybe it is to a lesser degree under Matt Campbell because he has his sights set on different things, but it's still a very big game and he hasn't won it. And I think that it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle that. Again, it's a continuation of expectation. They've got a game under their belt now. They have a bye week under their belt now. But it's go- can you imagine the number of distractions that will be there this week for that, for that team? Probably more so than any other game ever. And they've never had to deal with anything like that before. <laughs> and, you know, when, um, if you had that exact same box score, and pick another team that's usually somewhere, you know, Northern Iowa is kind of a fringe playoff team. Wouldn't you say? Kind of a top 25-ish FCS program. Right about right? now, yeah. Yeah, okay. So pick, it, pick any other team that's, you know, somewhere in the bottom half of the top 25 of the FCS. And it's the exact same box score. And I'll bet you that game's not going to triple overtime. I think, I think Mark Farley and, and, and that knows he's got Iowa State's number. I think that filters down that this is the, this is the rare time that, that Iowa State is looked at as the, as the uh, arrogant a-hole here against the in-state rival little brother with a chip on its shoulder. I, and, and I think that factors in to this game somewhat as well, meaning that if, if Iowa State was playing almost anybody else what is Iowa ranked? 18th or something like that right yeah, now? 19, or 19th? 19th? Okay. Yeah. If they were almost playing anybody else ranked 19th and, and, and it was the exact same circumstance, then um, I, think, I think that it's, that this could potentially play to their advantage. But I think the fact that you throw in again that it's the in-state rival that you haven't beaten, there's a lot of mental layers here. They've just never – had to confront those from the from the um, uh, from the defensive viewpoint as a team, and you know when I first got started in this business, the, when I when I was first given my full time show, Memorial Day weekend two thousand, and I'd only been on the air for a couple of months in Des Moines on the original sports talk radio station here in town, the Jock, and when I called Tom Crochelle at Iowa State, and I said, hey. Um, I want to I do a live show for three hours at your football media day. They were stunned. They were stunned that a Des Moines media outlet 
was, was, was a Des Moines media outlet was going to come and cover their team. Now, keep in mind, they had not been to a bowl game since 1977. They broke that streak that year. That team went 9-3 and three and was ranked in the top 25. That's the last time Iowa State finished the season. Ranked in the top 25 was that team. Um, you know, last year's team was really close to doing it, and they lost a, a heartbreaker at the end in the Alamo Bowl against Washington State and fell out. Or may, maybe they made it two years ago. I think, did they make it two years ago when they beat Memphis in the Liberty Bowl? I think they did. I think they did finish that year in the top 25. So I take that back, all right? But th- we're a long way from, man, we're – Steve Dace, who's been on the air at the Jock for three months. Uh, Steve Dace wants to bring his Des Moines show to cover Iowa State Media Day. And, they, and man, they would roll – remember how we, you and I used to talk back in those days? If we go to Iowa State, they roll out the red carpet, even if you showed up. Again, all right? They were very uh, accommodating. Yes. Meanwhile, at Iowa, we'd be lucky if the power was on when we went out there, right? Um, we're a long way from that, man. <laughs> this is, I mean, it, the production value that we put into our event back in 05 with the graphics on site, we had the, the you know, you know, that show you and I had to be there like at 8 a.m., you know, uh, five hours before, before go time to put that thing together. It was a hundred, like a hundred degree heat index that day. It was one of the biggest crowds they'd ever had in Ames. It was estimated that day 40,000 people came to the game who didn't have tickets, right? Take, mm-hmm. That was 15 years ago, before Facebook, before Twitter, social media. Um, and now where both programs are kind of looked at nationally as equals. And then you add arguably the, the most popular pregame show in sports since the original NFL today when we were kids with Brett Musburger and and Jimmy the Greek and and that crew. And you add all that together, that atmosphere there is going to be nuts. And there's nowhere those players are going to go that they're not going to be reminded of that everywhere they go. And so if they get off to a good start, like this is what happened in 05, when, the, when uh, there was so much hype about that game, and it's, we didn't have college game day, but we had almost everybody else in the media here. ABC sent one of their big national crews here, remember? I think it was Mike Tirico was who, was who called that game. And there was an early interception. Uh, Drew Tate got picked off, tried to make the tackle, and got knocked out with a concussion, if I remember right. Okay? Yes. And, and, the, and the, the energy in the stadium just sort of snowballed against Iowa from there. And I could see something like that happening again, but I also think if they don't get off to a good start, all of that tension, all those expectations, you know, all of the preparations for the wedding and you have the ceremony and you have the right cake and the right photographer and the right guest list and everything else. But then the main event comes, we get to the hotel room that night and as, and everybody, and, 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 Man, you've spent a lot of energy getting to that point. So as long as when momentum is in place, the finish will probably be great. But there's, all, there's just as big a risk as someone passing out of sleep because they put so much into the process to get to that point, if you get what I'm trying to say. And that's, I think that's, that's a huge factor for Iowa State. Meanwhile, this is nothing to Iowa. They can play the same way they've always played. They played in a ton of these kinds of big games. They've had game day out there, you know, around their program before. Um, they're not going to be interfering with them 
how literally you have to put up with RVTV this week, you know? Iowa just kind of, you got to be over there doing their thing. And all of those distractions are sitting over there at the 515. I, I think that's a big factor. It could be a positive. If Iowa State gets off to a good start, I could see this snowballing on Iowa. But, I can, but if they don't, I could see it snowballing the other way too. Right? I think you put that much air in a room, you know, that it, it, there's just as much of a possible, it's just as possible that, that, it, that it, it's a bubble that pops as it is that it's a party favor. It remains to be seen. What do you think? We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. You want to wake up and see the clock? Tired of contacts or glasses? LASIK eye surgery with Wolf Eye Clinic may be the life change you've been looking for. The first to perform LASIK in Iowa, more Iowans trust Wolf Eye Clinic specialists with their eyes. Call 833-532-8809 to schedule a free LASIK consultation with a Wolf Eye Clinic surgeon today. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think one, as I look at this from the Iowa standpoint, you know, Kirk Ferentz is about as even keeled as they come and his preparation from week to week, while at times it it has been annoying that it has seemed like there isn't that same emotional investment for Iowa in this game that there has been for Iowa state. Uh, That's probably not fair and it's probably not true. It's just that the Iowa players aren't showing it as visibly as maybe we've seen from the Iowa state players in the past. Uh, I, I think when you're going into a road environment as raucous and hostile as this is going to be, it absolutely has a galvanizing effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's us against the world. And in football, it, that is a big thing. Now, you still have to overcome the noise, uh, the ferocity that you feel out there as you know, us against the world. And those things, I mean, they're obviously not easy to overcome because, you know, we have things like certain stadiums are worth a certain amount of points. It's just the how it goes. We have a lot of history through this, the, the, the decades of this sport. I'm glad that Iowa has a third-year starting quarterback who has had success in that particular stadium. Uh, you know, he played one of his best games of his career at Iowa State. He had five touchdown passes against the Cyclones the last time that he was there. Uh, he's he's played at Penn State. We didn't play very good. It's probably his worst game of his career. But he's played in these big stages. And Kirk has been there before, too. So I, I think you're right. I, I think that it's going to be an insane week there. And if you're going to the game, you're going to experience something. I know a lot of you don't like me saying this, but I've said it before. That is a fun place to go watch a game. Uh, the, the tailgating is, it, it feel, has an NFL feel to it. Um, I always got the hell out of town uh, right after, sometimes even before the game started, just because I didn't want to, you know, come across somebody who's had a few too many pops and recognize you and wants to have a little fun. So I just, you know, took myself out of that situation because of all the smack that I ran on the radio. So it should be a, 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 a lot of fun. A um, couple of quick I'll things. Say, I'll say this on off season. I had this pencil in as a win for Iowa state. I thought it was a huge mental advantage for them to compared to last year when they had the canceled game and then they had to go on the road and Iowa had the consistency of, of camp season opening uh, you know, game week prep, et cetera, huge advantage for Iowa, which is why I went against the trends and picked the Hawkeyes here on the podcast last year. 
all off season, I have been thinking that this kind of works in reverse where Iowa state would get two weeks to kind of recalibrate itself, treat Iowa as a season by itself before they go in and, and deal with, um, you know, the rest of the big 12. But I, I, I really think the game day thing coming there and all of the attention and everything it's going to get, um, has me calling a TO here and, and, and giving it some pause because it's a, it's just a level of scrutiny and exposure. This program is, and really athletic department as a whole has never really seen anything like this. I want to say game day has, has been to Hilton before in, in basketball, but it's, it's nothing compared to, you know, football, obviously you throw in first time in the preseason AP poll you know, I don't know how old Jamie Pollard was in 1978, but he, he's roughly the same age you and I are. So, you know, he was probably, you know, sitting in front of a console, tele, Zenith Television, watching Super Friends, Challenge of the Super Friends, like you and I were in 1978. Um, I, I think, I, I just think that's now the, the preseason ranking, game day coming there. You've never beaten Iowa. Then you, 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 you struggled under the weight of those expectations against Northern Iowa before that, man, that's a lot of intangibles working against you right there. And if there was ever a year for Iowa to benefit from Kirk's even keel approach to this game, this is actually the perfect year for something like that, given all the things that I'm talking no, You're right. You're right. And it's, it's, it's all of a sudden this game, just with the ESPN game day, it's turned into a bizarro thing. To where yes. I, I was also had an Iowa State lean on this one all off season, but but I think that you're right about this. You know, you talked about that 2002 decision that that um, ESPN Game Day made by not coming to Iowa State for the Nebraska game. Mm-hmm. That Nebraska game was on September 28th of 2002. You know where ESPN Game Day was that week? They I don't know. They were they were nowhere. They didn't have a game. Wow. Day. Oh. They didn't even go anywhere that week. They went from September 21st to October 5th. And I've searched three different sites that have the history of every ESPN game day on it. And each of them have a gap on that. So that was even more of a slight back then when you yeah. had that opportunity um, to go there. Last thing for me to you, personnel wise, we've talked about all these intangibles and my goodness, there's more intangible impact on this game than maybe ever before. Um, but it, the playmakers, Montgomery and Butler, two pros, two amazing. I mean, Montgomery, if they had Montgomery, I mean, I, I, that's the kind of guy that can overcome all this almost by himself. Uh, are you concerned that they don't have that, those types of playmakers for this year's game? Yeah. No, I don't know that either team does. You, you know, Epinesa is a name we know. But largely, he was able to do that, as we talked all offseason from an Iowa perspective. He was able to do that with the benefit of being a situational player. All right? Iowa State has a, a, a lot of really good players on defense. Yes. You know, I, I, I think it's possible half of the all Big 12 defense in December could be Iowa State Cyclones. But I don't know who the alpha is. Meaning a lot of them are really good, but I don't know that they, that they have a shutdown corner. I don't know that they have the terror coming off the edge. They've got, they've got the got war daddy of, inside. 
Yeah, they do. And, and, and you saw that when Northern Iowa's quarterback was able to exploit that. Now, I think that quarterback doesn't have the arm talent that Nathan Stanley has, but he's more of an athlete. Nathan Stanley's not going to run around out there. That's not his game. So um, I don't know that either team has truly identified who those playmakers are going to be yet, which is another reason why I have spent so much time here on the intangibles. Because I don't, I don't know I, – I am confident Epinesa will create a big play or two. Because I think that's the biggest mismatch Iowa has in the game uh, from what I saw against Northern Iowa. I thought that was the one offensive lineman for Iowa State that truly struggled. Now, when I say I didn't think their offensive line was terrible, and also, you know, you know, people are nowadays distinctions. You know, are, adults are, are, are struggling to establish distinctions. So the fact that I am refuting the narrative that Iowa State's offensive line struggled, of course, must mean that I think they are Vince Lombardi's five blocks of granite and Forrest Gregg and Bill Curry lining them up and mowing you down. That's not what I mean at all. But they just weren't terrible. But, you know, they were a fairly decent Iowa State line, meaning competent, except for the left tackle. He struggled throughout the course of the game. So I am, in, I am inclined to think that one of two things will happen there. Uh, Epinesa will create a big play or two, or Iowa State will run a lot of 12 personnel to keep one of those two tight ends inside in order to rotate their pass pro over there. And it might be, and then, but then there's a price for doing that. Then that's one, that's one less person you put out, um, you know, yeah, and it allows IO to play its base four, three, which it would prefer yep. to do, I think with this particular that's exactly right. personnel exactly. group. So if I had to guess, Iowa state will attempt at first to not have to do that because of what you just said. And then if they can't get away with it, then they're going to have to do that. Cause you have to keep Brock pretty upright, obviously. So I don't, I don't know who, though, the go-to guys on offense are for either team. There's some good players there, but I don't know that there's anybody yet that has established themselves as a difference maker, and maybe this will be the game that they do so. Maybe this is the game that, you know, you know a guy you, you, that you've been projecting makes a play like Akram Wadley did here two years ago, for example. Um, but here's the thing that's the most impressive about Matt Campbell's program. You think of the last two years, they've gone eight and five both years, which is an average season for Kirk Ferentz and is an exceptional season for Iowa State, given where their program is coming from. And yet, just when these two teams played here two years ago in an overtime classic that went up and down the field, you know, within just a couple of weeks of that game, the guy who played quarterback for Iowa State and lit up Iowa's defense that day was completely going to be out of the program. Then he was going to be replaced by the third string guy no one had ever heard of. And then that third string guy at this time last year was going to be replaced by a three-star freshman no one had ever heard of. It's nuts what he has done there uh, in terms of how he's able to mold raw material. But, you know, he, he built this program. And you know what? You and I both kind of scoffed and laughed at those videos that they were doing when he first took over. Do you remember those? When he was lifting weights and all that. Yes. yes. And, and they started doing the hashtag win in the dark. And you and I kind of looked at each other. I think we both – I think you and I both kind of had a PJ Fleck vibe about that. Right? Yeah. We kind of rolled our eyes. But you know what? It's worked. Whenever they have – you know, whenever it looks like they're done, they're out, they're finished – he comes up with something. Well, this is the first time, though, that the mad scientist doesn't get to go into his lab in, in private and conjure up something. 
this is all going to be broadcast nationally now. And this is a big moment for him, too, as a coach. You know, you go from Mount Union and Toledo to Iowa State. You haven't been exposed to a lot of the spotlight. You haven't, you haven't had to answer or, or face a certain level of, of scrutiny. That, you know, Kirk Ferentz has faced this a lot for being a, even at a school kind of out of the way like Iowa. I mean, who's, who, name me a contract in modern college sports history that has received more scrutiny and national media attention than his has, right? So this is all brand new to Iowa State. And I think this game is going to come down to two things. How good of a start does Iowa State get off to? Because I think after you get all that hype all week long, you need something that makes you feel good uh, before you let all the air out of the building. And then the second thing is, which team is more likely to come up with the person that's going to make, make the difference in that game? And Iowa State, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a gimmick. Their programs evolve. They don't need it to be steel jants, one-hit wonder, or something like that. But they're not going to win this game if Deshante Jones has 14 catches for 126 yards. All right, in today's college football, if you're catching 14 balls, you better have Des Bryant at Oklahoma State kind of numbers. And I think that's the key to the game is who's able to figure out who those who the, the key guy that's going to make that one play is. And that's why I think the start of the game is, is so vital. Because I think the odds that Iowa State will, will come up with that player or two increase if they get off to a good start. And then the tension that the fan base has kind of everybody takes a deep breath and now it's about momentum instead of pressure. So I think the first quarter in this game is going to be really important. You talked about a mismatch uh, Epinesa against Iowa State's left tackle. Uh, and I'm not calling this a mismatch yet, but one that I'm really interested to see because I've watched both Iowa's game against Miami and Rutgers. I've watched them multiple times. And on my watch throughs the second time, I focus solely on the line of scrimmage. And I have focused solely first on Iowa's redshirt center, Tyler Linderbaum. I think that kid has a chance to be the best center that has played at Iowa under Kirk Ferentz. Wow. Uh, his, his agility and his vision and his nastiness, I mean, it's like Robert Gallery playing a center relative to his meanness. He doesn't have Gallery's talent yet and may never, but he has amazing agility. Now, he's going to be going up against Ray Lima. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be going oftentimes heads up against Lima. So Iowa has played three, four fronts in these first two games, which is, is good. Um, but this is going to be something that, you know, Lima's got a lot of experience and he's a very disruptive player. So that is absolutely a matchup watching this game that I'm going to be having my eyes on right away. Can Linderbaum hold his own? against one of the best defensive linemen and certainly nose tackles in the Big 12. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's going to be his first road start. You're going to get yeah. a lot of different you're going to get a lot of different looks from John Heacock in that in that front. It's a different kind of 3-4 than what Wisconsin plays, although, you know, that may change. You know, they've got 2 weeks. They may take a look at some of the film that Wisconsin's done in the past and you may see them take a page out of Dan McCartney's old playbook where he had 
him and John Skladany would have like the separate defensive package for Iowa that they wouldn't play the rest of the season. Now, a lot of that was predicated on a lack of respect for Iowa's receivers. Not sure you can get away with that now. Um, but I, I could see them maybe put it in some more of those angling, um, you know, uh, some more of those uh, angling adjustments and the kinds of th- things that Wisconsin has done in the past and borrow from some of that. Um, they but, certainly did um, last year. They did do that last year. You're right about that. So uh, it, it, it'll be very – it'll be – maybe the loudest that stadium's ever been. It'll certainly be the, the you know, because that young man's also going to be responsible for a lot of the signals and things of that nature. A lot of silent, working on silent counts. Yep. And I heard in camp that some of those, you know, quarterback center uh, shotgun snaps were a little dicey, but we haven't seen that yet in the first two games. Everything's just different when you are down in the middle of that field, when all that noise is aimed at you. Yes. Everything. And we've seen Nate different. Stanley get, we've seen Nate Stanley get rattled in those situations. Now, two years ago, this was his coming out party in an atmosphere kind of like this. Now, Iowa state wasn't expected to be as good. There wasn't college game day, but you know, it's still a Cyhawk game. You're in enemy territory. Um, it's still a pretty raucous atmosphere. And we really saw this was, was, was Nathan Stanley's coming out party, his debut, debutante ball, if you will as a young quarterback was this game two years ago. So he's played well here before, but we, we've seen him on the road struggle with uh, keeping his poise and focus in some of these situations. So that's something to keep, uh, keep an eye on. Brock Purdy is unlike any other quarterback that Iowa State has had that, I, that Iowa has faced. And I said this last year, he's a poor man's Tua Tagovailoa. And what I mean by that is he doesn't have anywhere near his physical ability or arm talent. But his game is very similar. Anticipatory throws, unflappable, phenomenal decision-making. Now, I don't know that he has, at least, in, at least right now. I mean, there's a reason he was a three-star recruit. And yet, he did get offered a scholarship by Alabama, but it was after the early signing period when the quarterback ranks were pretty thinned out for February. But still, an Alabama scholarship is an Alabama offer means something. But... There's a reason why Bama didn't offer him until after the early signing period, because he doesn't have the standout measurables. So I don't know that he's a quarterback, especially yet as a young sophomore, that can lift a team. But for a team that, um, that, needs, to, that needs a certain mood, that needs a certain kind of leadership, he, he has all of that in spades. But what he doesn't have now is what you said you know, a while ago when we first started this conversation. He doesn't have the Alan Lazard, or for him anyway, last year, the Hakeem Butler, that I could throw a 12-yard slant. Todd Blythe. Just yep, and if, and, if I, and if I catch him in, you know, in stride on, and put the ball in his hip, that guy can take it to the house. They don't have that. At least we didn't see that last week, where if they had that guy, they probably would have won that game going away, broken it open, because they made that one big play. So I love his game. He can actually make the throw that Iowa State quarterbacks have struggled to make over the years against Iowa, but he doesn't have Jacob Park's arm talent. I mean, Jacob Park might have more arm talent than any quarterback I've ever seen at Iowa State, Seneca Wallace included. He just had a lot of personal problems. But, but he's unflappable, and, um, and, and, he's, and he does everything well. He's not a great runner, but a good one. doesn't have a great arm, but a good one. Um, he'll, be diff- he'll be a different matchup than what Iowa is used to seeing you know, in many respects, what Brock Purdy is like, and if you're an Iowa fan, you're going to hate this analogy. 
right. If you say Steel Jans, I'm going to punch you in the face. No, no, I'm not going to say that. In many respects, Brock Purdy is every Northwestern quarterback that has ever beaten Iowa. Oh, geez, that's like even that's worse. Don't you? But don't you see like Dan Persa when you watch him play? I've blocked out Dan. I've muted Dan Persa in my mind. I don't want to hear it. Well, sorry. But if they can't if they can't hold the point up front, none of that will make a difference. Iowa State's going to probably play a backup center. Now he came in in the heat of the moment against Northern Iowa, right off the bench, like a boss. All right, but sometimes it's easier when you're just thrown in without any time to think about it than it is when you've had two weeks to think about it. Yeah, so that's yeah, something else yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah, the know? interior of Iowa's offensive line beyond um, Linderbaum um, is not their strength. They Iowa also won't have one of its potential two first-round NFL draft tackles as Alaric Jackson will be out for this game. Um, Merriweather also will be out at one of the safety positions. So Iowa has a few nicked-up players as well. All right. And that's about as long as I think we've ever previewed an Iowa-Iowa State game on a podcast. And, and we could have probably done even more, given the magnitude of this game. Yeah, so. Could have. All right, that'll wrap it up. We'll check back in and see if anything's changed uh, on Thursday when we do our confidence picks. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.